Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, uh, the 2nd of February. Good morning, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. On the 3rd of February 2022, power sharing in Northern Ireland collapsed. Tomorrow, exactly two years to that day, members of the Legislative Assembly will meet to form a government and get the political institutions back up and running once again. The DUP is willing to re-enter power sharing in Northern Ireland. Uh, This paves the way for democratic and dissolved government to be restored, the Assembly to function again, the Executive to meet, to make decisions for Northern Ireland, uh, and also crucially will allow the North-South bodies and North-South Ministerial Council uh, to work again. Uh, And uh, many of the problems that people face in Northern Ireland are very similar to those that we face here, and it's important that they have a democratic and and devolved government uh, up and running uh, to deal with those uh, very real issues. That's the Taoiseach Leo Vratker speaking this week. Let's speak now to Peter McVerry of our sister station U105 once again. Good morning to you Peter and thank you indeed for joining us on the eve of uh, the restoration of power sharing in Northern Ireland. Uh, events get underway at one o'clock uh, tomorrow and it will be a, an historic day for many reasons I'm sure uh, but in essence uh, events get underway today with the meeting of four political parties, doesn't it? Yeah, a couple of morning to you, Michael. A couple of things happening today. So you're right, the leaders of the main parties are going to get together to agree some of the arrangements around tomorrow, but predominantly it's likely that they're going to at least start talking about the, the ministries and who might want what and who might take what. There's a particular system here called to hunt, and please don't ask me to explain it because it's very complicated, Michael, but they run that in order for the selection of the ministries based on, uh, most of it is based on the number of votes that you got, but some of it is based on the unique cross-community elements that were built into the, the Good Friday Agreement so that what what was perceived in 1998 as both sides, you know, could could have something and could share those out. Mm. So we think, for example, that that, that Obviously, we'll, we'll have them. We can come on in a minute to, to, to the roles of first, first and deputy mm-hmm. first minister. But in terms of ministry, you know, we've we, we, we've we've Conor Murphy there from Camla from Sinn Féin, who historically had been finance minister. It's thought that he's now going to be economy minister. And Gordon Lands of the DUP, who was previously economy minister, is thought that he's going to be finance minister. You know, part of the debate that's ongoing internally within the parties as well is um, is whether or not the Alliance and the Ulster Unionists, who are entitled to seats in that executive 
will take them. The SDLP, who, who didn't get the votes to merit a seat in the executive, have already declared a long time ago that they're going to go into opposition, uh, led by uh, Matthew O'Toole. Uh, their MLA, the alliance in the last 24 hours, it's emerged they're debating whether to go into opposition or whether to, to go into the executive. But it's likely we'll see them in the executive, Michael, because they have enough votes this time for mm. their best ever election. Because Tuesday, generally you'd be talking about a grand justice. coalition, wouldn't you? You would, yeah, yeah. You, you would. You'd be, you'd be, you'd be likely to have, you know, two thirds over the seats and maybe slightly more between Sinn Féin mm. and uh, the DUP, and then you'd have two alliances. The Ulster Unionists would have won yeah. if they if they choose to take it. But you might have an independent in there. You know, there's a lady mm. called Claire Sugden who was Justice Minister before. She might take that role again if it's offered. But mm. that's probably within the gift of the DUP and Sinn Féin. That's what they'll be meeting to talk about today. And then there's a separate meeting. Um, Alex Maskey, the outgoing speaker, who's been waiting a couple of years to get out of that seat. Michael, he can't wait to get away after one o'clock tomorrow. Uh, he's making the chief whips of all of the parties to go through the formalities of how exactly it will work in the chamber from one o'clock tomorrow. So plenty happening. Yeah, and it's that haunt system, uh, without going into the minutiae, Peter, uh, that uh, means that you're going to have a, a grand coalition uh, in Stormont. Uh, and it's also the system that uh, made it impossible over the last two years to form a government if the DUP wouldn't take up their seats. It, it is, and it's the same, you know, the same um, mechanism was the one that meant that, that from um, for a previous three-year period from January of 2017 to January of 2020, it wasn't able to sit either whenever Sinn Féin chose to come out over, over RHI and the scandal around that. And then they, they thought they were back sooner and there was the, the row over the Irish Language Act, which derailed it. But you're right, that was built in there as a protection, but increasingly over the last 25 to 26 years, it hasn't been the protection in some ways that they thought. And there are many people who want that look that and who say yes and if we're going to achieve the, the sustained growing up politics in Northern Ireland that we'd like to see going forward, we need to review that to say that no one party can bring down the Assembly and that if everybody else wants to be in there and one party wants to come out that they come out through their choosing but not able to pull down the democracy in Northern Ireland. I'm not sure we're at the stage yet where, where that will be debated or that will be changed if it, if, it took, you know, if it took two years to get to the point where the DUP were happy to go back in I'm not sure how long it would take for all of the parties to come to a consensus on how it would work going forward. And I, I think when we chatted before, I checked this out this morning, Michael. Yeah. Um, in the time from 1998, the Assembly in Northern Ireland has been down for about 43 or 44% of the time. Wow. You know, that, that that's that's not a stat that, that, that rules well. And somebody asked me the other day whether um, I thought that we would last this time. And I said, you know, as a data too and as a citizen of Northern Ireland... I'd love to see that, you know, mm. but as a journalist, they were asking me the question. The evidence says it's, it's almost 50-50. Yeah, uh, and that really is failing the people, but it's back to work tomorrow uh, uh, and uh, there'll be, uh, obviously, the ministries uh, to be decided on following the nominations, but then comes that piece of, of history because Michelle O'Neill is destined to become the first ever uh, Republican first minister in Northern Ireland. Yes, she is. And and as you say, co-equal roles and in legislation, no greater power than the DUP Deputy First Minister, possibly Emma Little-Pingeli. But in terms of of, of symbolism, you know, it does have that title, even though ironically when Michelle O'Neill was was Deputy First Minister, Sinn Féin referred to the role as Joint First Minister. But now, you know, there there will be that symbolism and then people, no one would have thought in 98, if Mm. you remember in 98 when we got Stormont back up and running, 
it was neither Sinn Féin nor the DUP who were in the in the box seat. Indeed, DUP were out. You know that was a that was a coalition of us unionists and, and the SDLP um, that got that back up and running. So you know nobody thought at that stage that we would get to this situation now. And again, mm. very symbolic for um, for Sinn Féin and given the fact that that there's a general election on the cards here in the UK and that there's a general election in the not too distant future with yourselves. You know, Sinn Féin mm. will be hoping that they've got. Um, two very strong female leaders in power on either side of the border, and that will allow them to at least argue um, for reunification and push towards a border pole. Mm, yeah, and uh, it's within touching distance, I think Mary Lou said uh, recently, uh, but uh, the nomination of Michelle O'Neill as First Minister uh, is something that would have been impossible, as you say, years ago. Uh, politicians in Nor- Northern Ireland now proving that politics is the art of the possible. Having said that, though, I, I imagine there'll be some gritted teeth, will there? Well, there, there will, yes. I think I heard someone say say yesterday that the, the, the fact that the election um, gave the role of um, First Minister uh, to Sinn Féin wasn't the reason that the DUP came out of Stormont, that was very clearly based on the on the constitutional issue and on their fear around Brexit and around the dilution and what they saw as the dilution of the of the union in the United Kingdom. But the reality was, you know, the fact that they're out for two years, it was one of the things that meant that they weren't rushing back. You know, they weren't mad keen to go back in and have that have that symbolism. But we're at the point that we're at now. I heard Sir Jeffrey Donaldson speaking earlier this morning and he he said that, you know, it's not a perfect deal um for them. And there are things that they'll have to live with. And he was referring more to the the Brexit elements and, and, mm. and the, the things that still have to be put into legislation rather than the role of Michelle O'Neill. But I think the DEP calculation now, if you listen to their their phraseology over the last couple of days, you know, should Jeffrey um, and other members of the party have talked about banking it? Edwin Pooch, the former First Minister, who possibly, in exchange for getting this over the line for, for Jeffrey Donaldson and voting for him in the executive, might find himself the Speaker after tomorrow. You know, he talked about being the right tactical decision for the DEP. So, we're not at the end of it. Mm. Sir Jeffrey talked the other day about, you know, all the battles not being over. And he said that in a press conference with Chris Heaton-Harris, the Secretary of State. We're not living in a perfect political society going forward. There are more rows to come about Brexit. There's a thing called the Stormont Break that's never been tested mm-hmm. or activated. We understand there's an agricultural uh, ruling or law that might be coming down the line in the next month that could give us our first our first test. So, you know, still plenty happening up here and we're I'm not sure. going to have the, mm. the perfection that you would desire. But the reality is that we've now got the opportunity to prove that politics can can work in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the simple things here, like we had a we had a transport strike yesterday. Yep. You know, we we we've you can hardly drive down anything off the motorway, Michael, without hitting mm. a pothole. Yep. You know, we've got we've got waiting lists here that are someone in A and E in Northern Ireland um, waiting for more than twelve hours. The likelihood of that happening has multiplied by a factor of thirty six since two thousand and nine really? in Northern Ireland. My you know, God. The, mm. Yeah, the, mm. no, the national health service is just you know falling apart. Mm. So yeah. that, and, and then you've got education. You know, Catholic, Protestant, integrated education. Where do we go? Mm. So the reality is we've a lot we've a lot to look at in Northern Ireland, and and, and we need mm. to move on. I see too, Peter, that uh, the SALP are taking issue with this deal that the DUP have struck with the British government. Uh, and they say that it undermines the North-South relationship on this island by changing references to the all-island economy. 
Yes, there's very in the actual command paper. I think it refers to the union. Someone counted it and they claimed that it refers to the union in the 75 or 76 pages, 317 times. Matthew O'Toole, the STLP leader of the opposition, has been flagging that. I saw a TV debate last night, and Paul uh, Paul Given, a former first minister here on behalf of the DUP, mm-hmm. was making the point to say that actually, as far as the DUP are concerned, we are in the UK, and that's the position that we that we should have. So I think that you know, we've only had sight of that command paper for. 48 hours is it now Michael I think people legally are pouring mm-hmm. over it and actually John Larkin an eminent QC here today I think is expected to give a legal view um, on that as well um, and we will have more and more people who are looking at it just as we go the, the actual it didn't take a vote yesterday to put it through the House of Commons nor would it in the House of Lords what they did was debate it and it was done through something called a, a statutory instrument which means it's really it's really a secondary piece of legislation that's amended to an existing piece mm. so actually no, no one had to vote on it but it will mean that it may be challenged at points in the future. And, you know, it's that old phrase, that old cliche of a devil in the mm. detail. I think over the coming weeks, we will have a parallel process. We'll have a storm that's hopefully sitting and try to move on politically. And we'll also have examination of uh, of the document, of what it means in practice. Mm. And also the divisions of the view up here. You know, it's not just other people up here who disagree or who have disagreed with the DEP, but the DEP disagree with themselves. Mm. You know, we had we had the instance yesterday in the House of Commons where the eight MPs from the DEP were effectively sat, and if there'd been a vote, in two blocks of four. So you had Geoffrey Donaldson, you had his deputy leader, Gavin Robinson, the two men who negotiated the deal, and then you had two more MPs sitting beside them who support them. Um, Jim Shannon from Strangford was the other one who was sitting um, in there. And then you, you look across and you see Ian Paisley and Sammy Wilson, you know, and two more MPs who are who were against it and who, including Sammy Wilson, who spoke out against it. So, you know, you do still have those those strong um, disagreements within the DUP. So, you know, yeah. so Jeffrey will have a will have a battle on, on, on internally as well as as well as externally. All right. But uh, it, it, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of catch up to do over the last uh, two years. Uh, but having said that, I think the number one priority uh, is pretty obvious, is it not? You mentioned uh, public services and the decay, if you like, uh, and funding those public services and uh, yeah. those public servants uh, must be top of the list. Yes, there's the 3.3 billion. It started off at two and a half billion, and then it was raised in an increased offer to 3.3 billion there before Christmas. 600 million of that is due to uh, to give a pay rise to those public sector workers. But again, and they refused to call off uh, yesterday's understandably because they said listen we've just got the promise of a government we haven't got an actual government so we want to see the color of the money but the issue is that that just gives those people what they believe they were entitled to going backwards the biggest problem northern ireland has and a problem that chris heaton harris has thrown back to the income executive is to say listen you need to raise more money then you need to look at how you're going to do that and you know the suggestion of things like water rates is a suggestion that the free prescriptions that are here in northern ireland may be taken away there's a suggestion that um that senior citizens may lose free transport for example you know he said northern ireland has to wash its own face the money that's there the 3.3 billion is a three-year deal and will help in some things but you know northern ireland needs to look to see well actually going forward how do we fund ourselves? And we've had we've had two massive holes in the last two years, financially, and that's that's not really been been plugged. So even some of the money that we're getting over the next three years will just be used to pay down 
uh, what we owe for the last two years. So we're not in a, in a healthy financial position at all. I wouldn't envy the mm. the role of, dip, of of finance minister, regardless to what party that person's going to be from. You know, they've got they'll have a few sleepless nights. I'm sure. Okay, Peter, thank you so much for that analysis. Peter McVerry of our sister station U105. Now, if you'd like to make comment on our program today, we'd love to hear from you. Our phone number is 0419832000. That's 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 086 658. That's 086 658. And before we go to the break, I just want to remind you that the Inner Relief Road in Dundalk is closed. This is between the Racecourse Road Junction and St. Helena's Junction at Anton Bridge. Uh, and also, uh, before we go to the break, uh, to remind you that if you'd like to email us, the address is michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Uh, you wouldn't uh, drink water if it could cause cancer, would you? I'm sure you wouldn't, uh, of course, but I hate to ask you this, uh, especially if you're listening to us uh, this morning in Drum Conrath or if you're listening to us in Navin. Are you sure that the water that comes out of your tap won't cause cancer? Last Thursday, Ireland was convicted in the European Court of Justice for having toxins above EU safety levels in our drinking water. The court found that drinking water for nearly 240,000 people, 23 of the 54 water supplies across the state, had levels of toxins, trihalomethanes or THMs in their drinking water, with the state failing in its obligation to rid public and private drinking supplies of the toxins. The court said the THMs are, are of concern for human health and environment since long-term exposure to high levels of chemical compounds in drinking water may pose risks such as cancer, uh, particularly bladder cancer, colon cancer, and cause gastro, gastro uh, problems and skin irritation. So can the Taoiseach outline what steps the government has taken to ensure Irish waters fulfil the state's obligation to rid public and private drink supplies of all toxins above EU safety limits? The safety and quality of our drinking water is paramount. Uh, we're aware of the uh, case and the judgment. We're studying the details of it and we'll respond to it in early course. And that's the Taoiseach. He's responding in that clip uh, to Independent TD Joan Collins. Let's speak to Tony Lowes, who's uh, the Director of Friends of the Irish Environment. A very good morning to you, Tony, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. 23 of uh, the 54 water supplies are said to have elevated levels of these THC. M's, uh, which may be carcinogenic. Uh, and that's why I mentioned Drum Conrath and Navin at the beginning of uh, this piece. Um, can you tell us uh, how great that risk is? Uh, this has been the great argument since the beginning. When we got involved in this, we made a complaint to the European Commission in 2011 because trihelomethanes pose a danger to public health. And there, uh, the what we had found was looking into industrial extraction of peat. The peaty matter had gotten into the water supplies. And when it does that, it reacts with chlorine and produces trihelomethanes. So the problem is actually this uh, peaty water, water with sediments in it, leaves in it, anything like that, will react with the chlorine. And the Irish authorities simply refused to accept that this was a danger to public health. Mm. What's the now, solution? Removing the chlorine? 
Excuse me? I, I'm wondering what the solution is. Is the solution removing the chlorine or how do you go about preventing this combination of chlorine with peat or other vegetation that may uh, get into the water supply? Well, to go back even a little further, the European Commission prosecuted Ireland for not treating microbiological contamination. And there were a thousand supplies where the bugs needed uh, to be taken out. So Ireland decided to introduce chlorine as a method of doing it. And they were warned at the time that there were two things that chlorine doesn't do. It doesn't take out cryptosporidium, that parasite, and it actually causes a problem when it reacts with peaty water, which the commission told Ireland it was likely to be a problem because of our talk of topography okay. and the flat, you know, the, the lands that we have here. It's, it's characteristic. So um, there you go. Yeah, this uh, is not a new problem. Uh, the ruling last week was that we continue uh, to have high levels of THMs in uh, the water supply, these toxins which can be carcinogenic, uh, but it's in breach of a directive that was issued 17 years ago. Yeah, 17 years ago is right. Now, I started to look into this again when the court judgment came out. And what was really shocking, and I didn't believe my figures as I was going through them, they're published on the EPA's website, a thing called the Remedial Action List, and it lists all the mm. supplies that have it. And I found that, that the number of people who are receiving THMs has doubled in the last two years. And I thought, wait a minute here, something's wrong with my statistics. But I got then I got, I got the 2023 EPA drinking water report in Ireland, and there it was. Limerick City, 115,000 people. The Barrow Supply in Kildare, 81,000 people. Mm. And, do you know, those two supplies don't even have a plan to fix them. There's Mm. no date, there's no plan, there's no nothing. It's... They've hidden the whole thing because they said it wasn't a danger to public health. Now, they're going to have to face into it now. And the first thing that we're after them for is to tell the consumers what's coming down the pipeline. Mm. Because it's easy enough. If you want drinking water, put in a charcoal filter. A little activated charcoal filter costs you 70 euro. Okay. You got your drinking water back. You can even put it in the fridge. And continue and to chlorinate it. Stand overnight. And, and let it stand overnight. Because what happened is that that chlorine has created these... These trihulimethanes, and right. they are—they are about fifty-five different chemicals, including some really nasty ones. Okay, that so don't for, want to know the names of. All right, but so, for for the thousands. So it arises. It arises from the water. If you see what I mean, when the water is agitated. Okay, but for arise. people so listening to us, Tony. I'm sorry, Tony, just for people listening to us this yeah. morning in Drumconrath in County Mead, about a, a thousand people, over a thousand people, over 10,000 people in, in Navan uh, where uh, levels are elevated. Uh, you wouldn't drink the water directly out of the tap. You'd filter it or you'd let it stand before drinking it. Would that be the best advice? That's the best advice. Right. And there are particular concerns that uh, you know come up in the literature as you look back through it. Showering, prolonged showering, because obviously these THMs are being released and they're going into the vapor in the shower, and they're particularly warning pregnant women not to, uh, you know, have long showering. How's that? Do you inhale it? Is it or? Yeah, you inhale it, and oh. it goes through your skin as well. Apparently, really, okay. So, uh, and so it, both ways. It can uh, impact on reproductive systems as well. Uh, I was reading uh, about this uh, uh, in, in the Irish Times, and the Health Service executive. 
uh, says, yes, uh, this uh, has the potential to be carcinogenic. Uh, there's evidence uh, of cancer in animals, apparently. But they say that the benefits of using chlorine far outweighs the risks. But there's a risk of cancer uh, and there's potential problems with reproductive systems. Is there anything else it, it can do to human beings? Well, I think this is the big... We're, we're, we're into an unfortunate situation here because the, they are not saying that it is a potential danger to public health. They're still holding the position that they came up with in 2012. And they have got to turn around now and say, look, this water is... It says 16 times in the judgment that refers to the potential danger to human health. It says specifically you cannot... You cannot deny, Ireland cannot deny that this is a danger to public health. Mm. And, and they must address it. So they must notify the consumers. And then we have to look at, 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 a, at a program that's dealing with this because some of the literature is suggesting that because of all these storms we're having and the intensity of the storms and the frequency of the storms, more organic matter is being stirred up. More organic matter is going into our treatment systems. And that's reacting with the chlorine and it's creating THMs. So this may be part of the reason we're seeing this huge jump. Okay. Well, right. it's <laughs> the judgment has been made, uh, and I'm sure that people listening to us uh, this morning will be hoping uh, that something will be done to uh, change uh, what's coming out of uh, their taps. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm sure many people will take the advice that you've given them this morning to filter or let the water stand. Thank you indeed for your time, Tony. Good to talk to you, Tony Lowe. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wasn't sorry. I wasn't more cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We'll We'll try, and find, we'll try and find something fun next time, Michael. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Tony Lowe's is the director of Friends of the Irish Environment. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. PayPal says it will be offering discretionary enhanced redundancy and support packages to 205 of its employees in Ireland. About half of them are probably going to be remote workers based in Dundalk. Paddy Malone is uh, the PRO with uh, Dundalk Chamber of Commerce. Good morning to you, Paddy. Thanks for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Um, What does that mean? Uh, Can you explain what PayPal means when it it says it'll offer discretionary enhanced redundancy and support packages? Well, effectively, I suppose it means that it'll be more than the statutory, which they are obliged to offer. Mm. Well, that would be the enhanced bit. What's the discretionary bit? Well, it's just it's, that element is at their discretion as to whether to offer yeah. more than the statutory. So, that, uh, you know, it, it's the same word repeating. It's, it's another word saying the same thing, Michael. Right. So like, it, they were, they are, well, I take it it means were, that they won't be negotiating with trade unions or anything like that. Well, I don't know what the trade union setup is within PayPal. Well, I doubt, I they, I doubt they recognise PayPal. A uh, few of those multi-corporations uh, do, do they? Well, a lot of them don't. So, mm. but I, it's it's not something I know anything about, Michael. So, I'm not going to comment on whether PayPal talks to unions or not. I have no idea. Yeah. So, I I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, they've turned their back on Dundalk. Uh, that would seem fairly clear at this stage, wouldn't it? No, it would not. Uh, they are uh, they sponsor a number of events in the community, uh, including the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, they've made it clear that that uh, sponsorship and community support remains. They're still going to be employing about 700, even with this, in Dundalk. So there's significant employers in the town. Um, even, you know, and, and that's despite the fact that they don't actually have a visitor presence here. So 700 people is not a small operation. So it, 
this, it's disappointing for the say up to two hundred, say a hundred are going to be made redundant in our in in the, in the dog. That is exceptionally disappointing for them, mm. and I feel sorry for the families that are going through that. But on the other hand, I would say that they, if there is discretionary uh, redundancy being paid, that's that's a plus. There's also the fact that there's a huge number of organisations from, from from DKIT to the LME TB to yeah. Stillnet to uh, Solace that are here to actually help and enhance those people, so that training and other courses can be provided. And Michael, the the, the, the one thing about Dundalk at the moment is. There is significant uh, employment opportunity. The, the unemployment rate in Dundalk is that the lowest I can remember it. Yeah. Now, I re- remember being on the phone, being on with you ten years ago, 2013, uh, and the bail bucked, and we were the poorest town in the country, and we were. So that has changed significantly. PayPal led it was part of that, not completely, but it was part of it. Mm. You know, so, it's 700 jobs is not turning your back on Dundalk. Okay, uh, well, uh, it's certainly not uh, what was promised, uh, and uh, they pulled out of uh, the town and left workers uh, having to work remotely uh, when the money dried up. Uh, that uh, is uh, probably true to say, is it not? Well, hang, hang on. What actually happened when they when they when they left physically was post COVID, there was no more than sixty to seventy going in, or ten percent of their workforce. We're going into the into the fact into the building. Now, if you have a huge building and it's costing a fortune to run, and only ten percent are going in on a regular basis to use it, common sense will tell you close it. If you can continue to employ the people here in Dundalk, then close it. So I, I you know, I can't I can't ask them to keep opening. It's like asking people to keep heating churches in, 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 all 24-7 when people know that there's only a limited number of time and yeah. that's getting less Well, of course, they, they couldn't have closed it if they wanted to uh, continue receiving government funding uh, if uh, the money uh, was still available to them because that was contingent on it. You'd wonder when these uh, huge corporations, multinationals, come into towns like Dundalk uh, and they're receiving all of uh, this money if there should be some safeguards put in place, like, for example, uh, insisting that they would agree to collective bargaining and tra- and when it gets to the stage where the money runs out, they decide to pull out that they'd negotiate the terms of redundancy with the employees who are going to be left high and dry. Well, you're asking for a, a, a government policy to be to be altered, and a government policy is a, is a separate conversation completely. But government policy is that if the IDA gives support, financial support to organisations, that there are clawbacks if they're not staying there. There are. It, it, it happens. It happens already. So it's not a case of they come in and they get the grants and then they disappear. That situation. Stopped in the 1970s. I worked in in, 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 in in that area of finance in the 1970s, and that was cut out by the idea then. It, it's no longer the situation. Companies come into this country not for the not for the one-to-one grants. They come in for the the tax reasons and the employment law and the uh, common common law situation and the English speaking. They're not coming here for uh, grants. We could never compete with Britain or with other countries in terms of head grants. For, for numbers, uh, it never happened, and it never it never has happened. Uh, so, companies come here, and, and businesses will change, and models will change, and there will be disappointments, and there will be plus. I, I take it that, you know, and I would say that I mean, Xerox is probably the biggest 
disappointment that I've seen in the in the in the dock in the last fifty last twenty years. I mean, they came in with a lot of promise. Mm. Uh, I, if you looked at what Xerox was talking about, and you read what was being lodged in the in the stock exchange, which uh, the nerd that I am, I actually did read it. Right. I had a serious question mark over some of uh, Xerox's optimism. Let's put it that way. But every company will go through stages of reinforcement and replanning. I take it part of the problem that PayPal has experienced recently is that fewer people are shopping on the internet uh, since they were during COVID, uh, which has resulted in uh, less work uh, for the company to do. Uh, And this is part of this right-sizing. Right-sizing now uh, apparently taking place for that reason, that people are using the internet less than during COVID across a lot of uh, these big high tech companies uh, and the fear yeah, is well, that there will be more job losses uh, in high tech companies well when you look well first of all this is the second reorganization these companies don't want to do this it's not worth it for themselves the hassle, you know the sheer pressure of doing it but if you look at the number of job losses in ireland compared to uh, the global situation the global situation was 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 over 10 percent the, the, the situation in the dock and, 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 and uh, Star will be less than that. Um, and hopefully, this will be the end of it. I mean, nobody wants to see redundancy situations in any company. Okay, I've been, in, I've been on the receiving and on the giving end of that, and nobody wants it. It's not an area you want to do. And the problem sometimes is that when you're doing it, you're doing it, you do it too timidly and you don't cut enough jobs to save the remaining jobs, and then you have to do it a second time. And mm. that just generates a huge amount of uh, depression and um, you know, a lack of optimism. So hopefully this is the, this is the one time that they're actually cutting jobs uh, uh, in a significant number, and that that will stabilise. My concern would be to get the hundreds and... I mean, if there's, if there's 205 jobs, mm-hmm. if half of them are 102, 103 jobs, that those people get organised and get set up by all the various agencies as soon as they possibly can. Because, you know, no one wants to see this situation arising. Um, They have been careful in saying that there's a collaboration approach and that there's uh, uh, procedures they have to go through. Now, Michael, that is not because the unions are there or not there. That is because the law demands Mm. that they do that. I mean, the, 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 the law in Europe is significantly stronger in this area than it is in the U.S. or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. thank God we have that. Okay. okay. So, that is going to be of some benefit to these people, and they will have opportunities to go and look for jobs elsewhere. And I would encourage them to maybe think of upskilling or alternative jobs, but not to panic, mm-hmm. uh, because that's the one thing that will not help okay. anyone make the right decision. All right, well... Hopefully everybody uh, who ends up uh, unemployed as a result of this or redundant as a result of this will get a nice redundancy package and a new job to boot. Amen. Paddy, thank you indeed for joining us. That's uh, Paddy Malone, who's PRO for Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, it's a, a long weekend, a, an unusual event at uh, this time of the year, the second St. Bridget's uh, Long Bank Holiday Weekend. 
who was St Bridget? That's a, another question altogether. Let's uh, hear a little bit more uh, about why we're celebrating the life of St Bridget. Bishop Michael Reuter is uh, the Auxiliary Bishop of Armagh and joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Bishop Michael, as always, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Maybe you'd uh, tell us uh, what... Uh, this weekend, the celebrating of St. Bridget's life means for you? Well, I think, uh, good morning, Michael, first of all, and to all your listeners, but uh, I think that um, this celebration is recognising a woman of great significance uh, in Irish history, uh, the culture and the spirituality of uh, the nation. And um, we had a beautiful celebration yesterday in Fawherd. I would say our good part of the day at Mass at uh, 11 a.m. and met so many people for a couple of hours afterwards. There were people there from all over the country. Uh, there were people particularly from South Ulster and from, from Loud and from the Northeast in general. And then last night we had the candlelight procession from the old graveyard in Fawherd down to the shrine of St. Bridget. And it's wonderful the affection that people have for Bridget and the devotion that they have to her. Um, she, she was a remarkable woman, really. I mean, she, she lived at a time of, of huge transition and change in Ireland, uh, where it was changing from the old pagan ways uh, to uh, the Christian uh, understanding of, of, of life and uh, of interaction between people and the importance of community, the importance of, of compassion, of, of love, of reaching out to the poor. Mm. And she was at the forefront of that. Uh, I, I, she, I read part of your homily and uh, I think uh, you were putting particular emphasis on her gender and the fact that she was a woman in the church and showed the importance that women can have in the church. Yes, and, and uh, she's one of many great women uh, who have uh, been a, a major uh, influence on, on the, the course of the Church's history. And um, I, I think it's something that perhaps is, is lost. We tend to think that the, uh, the Church is very much male-dominated, uh, um, and that to a degree is true. Yeah. Uh, but there are so many women over its history who have had a major role to play, a major influence uh, on the church. And I mean, she she was so influential in fact that in the early uh, church in Ireland, uh, th- there was a debate as to whether she should be the patron saint rather than St. Patrick. You know, she, yeah. she had that much influence. Well, there's three, pa- three Irish patron saints, aren't there? St. Bridget, Patrick and Columba. And Columba. Mm. Uh, and uh, whilst St. Bridget uh, is uh, one of uh, the patron saints, uh, she's also uh, identified uh, by um, the Celtic uh, festival uh, celebrations. Uh, indeed, uh, as someone who was born in the 5th century, her father would have been a, a pagan. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, quite often Bridget is uh, associated with this time of uh, the year uh, and indeed the spring coming and the lambing season for that matter. Yes, yeah. I mean, there was sort of a, a romanticisation of uh, a lot of the, the, the major figures in, in the Christian history of Ireland that happened during the 19th century. And uh, she was kind of associated during that time uh, with the, the goddess uh, Bridget. 
And uh, there's probably no doubt her father was pagan. Uh, he possibly named her after that, that god as uh, such. But she herself was baptized. Her mother had been baptized by St. Patrick. So she was baptized a uh, Christian and brought up a Christian uh, by her mother. So really the whole goddess stuff connection is is frivolous, really, in a, in a way. But it's it's part of the, the whole myth, I suppose, and... Um, you know, the, both Kildare County Council and Louth County Council at the moment are making the most of that mm-hmm. in order to, uh, you know, to promote tourism in both of, of both of these counties. OK. Uh, how do you think uh, Bridget would look on contemporary issues? Uh, how would she see the role of women in the church, for example? Well, I, th- I think, as I said already, she, she showed that she had a, a strong governance role uh, in the early church in Ireland. Uh, it is reputed that uh, she nominated uh, St. Connet to be the first uh, bishop of um, her, uh, the Diocese of Kildare. So, you know, it, it's obvious, and she, had a, she set up a monastery for both men and women, so she had a governance role there. And if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I think, I mean, I would talk yesterday a little bit about my own experience. Uh, of parish life and working in ministry over 35 years. And really, there would be nothing that I could do within the parish or indeed in diocese without the support and the help of women. And more and more women are becoming involved uh, in positions of importance and positions of influence and governance uh, in the church. 
at the very highest level in the Vatican, uh, Pope Francis has increased the number of women who are working in the Curia, which is kind of effectively the, uh, the civil service of the church in a sense. And there are five or six women in some of the, the highest positions as, as undersecretaries uh, in the, uh, the Curia. So, you know, things are changed and, and are changing. And even here in the diocese, there are so many of the positions uh, in our own diocesan uh, Curia that are held by women. And they have huge influence uh, on the decisions that we make and the direction that we're going in. Uh, known, I think, for charity, kindness, dedication, compassion, and helping people in need. Uh, would St. Bridget fit into uh, the Ireland that we live in today? I think so. I, I think that's still essentially uh, the, the, the characteristics of, of Irish people, of being very compassionate, uh, of being very hospitable people. Uh, I mean, time and time again, our contributions to various different uh, charitable organisations and um, to towards maybe disasters that happen in particular areas, towards famine relief, whatever it may be, you know, is, is very, very strong and probably among the best in the world per capita in terms of, of donating uh, finance and other resources uh, to, to such uh, issues. So I, I, I think that's still very strong mm. in the Irish psyche. Um, we'd have to be careful all the time that we don't get sucked into a sort of a self-centered, materialistic uh, way of life, which is so strong in the modern world. And, you know, just to think about ourselves and think about our own issues and to not think about the people who are, who are suffering in our own country and, and around the world. Mm. And around the world, I think the Irish have always proven to be the most charitable of all nations. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, 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 how, how does that play out in reality? Do we continue to be, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, uh, Bishop, uh, the people who are very happy to send uh, a few pennies over to the black babies in Africa, uh, but are not so happy when the black babies come to live here? That's always an issue. I mean, when we have inequality here in Ireland and when we have major issues such as housing issues and healthcare issues and all those sort of things, you know, people will sometimes get a bit upset and anxious when they see a number of people coming here seeking refuge uh, from persecution or whatever it may be or from economic deprivation. Uh, so th- th- there is a sort of a natural reaction. Say, well, look, let's look after after you know our own citizens first, uh, and you know we see that popping up all around the world, particularly in Europe and, and North America, in the developed world, uh, that there is this reaction uh, towards migration, mm. uh, and we have to be very careful about that here too. I mean, just because we have a reputation for being generous in, in what we donate uh, in terms of time and money and resources uh, to other places. We have to be, be careful that, that we're not sucked into this sort of narrow focus uh, on, on our own issues uh, and to, to you know, be open and to be as open as we possibly can uh, and welcoming 
uh, towards those who are who are fleeing from desperate situations. Mm. Immigration is said to be the number one issue in uh, the country. That's a, according to a poll that was carried out uh, for the Irish Times last week. Uh, if people wanted to follow in the footsteps of St. Bridget, uh, how would they respond to other people coming into this country, do you think, Bishop? Well, following in the footsteps of, of St. Bridget is interesting because, I mean, she put her life at risk uh, in terms of, of the, the nature of her outreach to, to, to others, and particularly to those uh, who are less fortunate. Uh, I mean, she she gave away so so much of her her father's uh, wealth and so much of her father's uh, resources and valuables, including his his precious sword uh, that she gave to the poor, so much so that he considered selling her into slavery and getting rid of her because he feared that she would make him uh, destitute. But yet, regardless of what she gave away, she always had more than enough and she received in return uh, and she was able to establish uh, a very uh, influential and strong monastery uh, in Kildare uh, and she, you know she was able to continue her charitable and compassionate work uh, throughout her life so I think there's a little bit of a lesson there you know that we have to trust that if we're open if we're uh, compassionate if we're generous then we will receive in return. Mm. And is that true in today's context? I think so. I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it mm. very much from the point of view of, of, of the Christian viewpoint, you know, that uh, give and you will receive, you know. Uh, I, I believe that we, we have to sometimes uh, do things which you know, can be painful in the sense of, of the outreach that we uh, that we we make, but you know we have to trust that ultimately uh, we have to be sensible and we have to be reasonable. There's, there's no two ways about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have to trust that that our charitable uh, and compassionate outreach to people uh, will benefit us as well. Okay. Well, that's uh, something for us to think about as we celebrate St. Bridget uh, over the course of uh, this weekend and why we're celebrating St. Bridget's life uh, and how she lived her life and something for us all to think about. Bishop Michael, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Bishop Michael Reuter is uh, the Auxiliary Bishop of Armagh. Now, if you'd like to make comment on the programme today, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 0419832000. That's 0419832000. You can text us or WhatsApp us on 0861800658. That's 0861800658. And you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, we'll be speaking uh, about uh, the terrible uh, death toll so far on Irish roads, not just this year, but last year, of course. Uh, the worst year in a decade, 20% increase in the previous year. 
uh, and indeed the concerns that there are about going into a long weekend uh, when a lot of people will be on the roads uh, travelling across uh, the country. If you want to make a comment on that, do give us a, a call. But one comment that has already come to us from a listener who says, we wonder why there are so many accidents on the roads. I was talking to someone this morning. Their daughter had bought an 06 car. She had 700 euro in lessons, uh, a lot of lessons, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, one of the family went out with her yesterday evening and said that they almost died of shock because the car that she had been taught in had lane assist and automatic brakes and she actually didn't know how to drive a normal car. And then we wonder why there are so many accidents. Very interesting comment, uh, Angela, I think, sent that to us. And thank you indeed, Angela, uh, for that. Uh, as I say, we'll be discussing uh, behaviour, uh, the bad habits that people have and the reasons uh, that uh, they're putting themselves at risk and other people at risk. Uh, but let's uh, turn our attention once again to the North-South Interconnector, most contentious project, uh, as you know. Uh, and uh, indeed, we heard from Airgrid uh, this week, if you were listening yesterday, they've said that their offer is a first and final offer for compensation. Take it or leave it. And if you don't take it, they're coming. And they're coming with the bulldozers and the court order for that matter. Government commissioned report back in 2017 described the undergrounding of the North-South interconnector as feasible. Indeed, it said it was a credible option, but that part of the report has been ignored and instead Airgrid and government are proceeding with a plan that will erect pylon-supported overhead power lines through five counties. Tanisha, Airgrid and their agents are currently trying to engage with landowners across Cavan, Monaghan and Mead, but we're told that the overwhelming majority of landowners are refusing to engage. They're stating that they will not allow this infrastructure on their lands. Tanisha, I want to put it on the record and put you on notice that the current approach is going to lead to huge conflict with local communities and the inevitable delay of the North-South interconnector. And therefore, I'm asking you, will you adhere to your own party's pre-election commitments to actually take the concerns of landowners and local communities and force a rethink on this issue? Because otherwise, this interconnector is not going to be developed anytime soon. Well, actually, we did take that forward. No, we, did, we did ensure a rethink. and we uh, Yes, there was a review. Sorry, there was a further review of... Uh, previous reports. I'm not clear that 217 was as clear as you've just outlined in terms of the underground because Airgrid have been consistent in saying underground isn't feasible. They've been consistent. That's their view. Um, but we did ask and we secured from the Minister a review of, of that and indeed internationally as well, but also of the specifics here in relation to this. Um, and that re review has since been published. Um, and um, I mean, Airgrid are still engaging uh, with farmers in the area. The, the project has been delayed for quite a long time. Um, and there, there, there will be issues coming from that as well, from, from an energy security perspective. So there, there's no easy answers to this right now. That's the tarnished uh, Micheál Martin. He was responding yesterday to Matt Carthy of Sinn Féin. Let me bring in some more of uh, the comments now. Fergus uh, has been in, in touch with us. He, he says, I was in touch with you before and I was critical then of older drivers and uh, my experience driving the length and breadth of the country is that we should do something about it and that is that we should ban anyone over the age of 65 from driving because they're all brutal drivers. He says that 
they somehow managed to drive at 60 kilometres an hour when they're out on the main road with a speed limit of 80. Then they go into the town where the speed limit is 50 and they continue driving at 60 kilometres an hour. They don't know how to use motorways. They don't know how to use roundabouts. They don't know how to use their indicators. It's quite probable that they never did a driving test, never mind having had a lesson and they should be put off the road. They're just too old and haven't got uh, the wherewithal that's needed on Irish busy roads in this day and age. Thanks, Fergus, uh, for that. Frank was uh, in touch with us. Uh, Frank says uh, the church is way behind the times. He says, corruption, not dealing with sexual abuse properly, no women priests, priests not permitted to marry, not recognising that some of uh, the public are gay or lesbian. The past in the church is so bad, Frank says, it makes me sick to the stomach. It's just disgusting. Thank you indeed uh, for that, uh, Frank. That comes to us, of course, uh, on foot of uh, the conversation with Bishop Michael Reuter. Uh, 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658, email michael at lmfm.ie if you do want to make comment on the programme this morning. Now, uh, speaking of older people, as Fergus was a, a moment ago, uh, let's uh, hear about uh, the position that one man in Dundalk is in as we speak. Tony Shaw and also Minister of Defence, in your, in your- in your role, I have spoken to you numerous times about uh, soldiers being forced to have been discharged from the army when they reach the age of 50. Uh, I met a, a chef, an NCO chef, who's 50 there, coming in January 2025. A, a very fit soldier. He passes the fitness test and medicals. You know, he's, he's currently running the kitchen in the local barracks where I come from. Uh, and as you know, as you know, there's a big shortage of chefs, and also the, 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 it's an all-time low the numbers of soldiers. Uh, this, this chef has over 24 years experience, he's a family, he's three children, he's going to go to college and he's still a 15 year old to go. Uh, he would love to stay in his job, but at the moment he, he's, he's, he feels though he's been forced out, so presently he's, he's looking for a job. I've raised this many a time and you also you give me a commitment, and maybe a commitment to be strong, but you give me the, the commitment that this is going to be sorted out. Minister, we're losing good people from the Defence Forces and to me a 50 year old man is a very young, a young person. When you look at what you've done over the last number of months, you've raised the, the age limit to the Garda. You can judge the Garda 50. So, Minister, I'm asking you, can you Thank please you. give us some kind of clarity as to what's you. going to happen to these, these fit people that's Thank been forced you, to leave the Defence Forces? Thank you. Yeah, we have, um, there's active work on the way in respect of raising the retirement ages in our Defence Forces and in other uh, uniformed forces um, as well. It takes a cross-departmental approach we had meetings prior to Christmas in relation to it. Uh, I would anticipate there'll be um, measures decided upon very quickly now, shortly, um, that should inform the gentleman that you're speaking about that might help us, uh, that might assist him before that deadline of 2025. We did do interim measures on increased ages on an interim basis, but I'm looking for a more permanent, sustainable solution. All right, that's uh, the Thonish de Michal Martin. He was responding uh, to Independent TD for Louth Peter Fitzpatrick. Now, some more comments coming to us. Uh, John Conlon in Ballymackenny in touch, and he asks, will Fergus still feel the same when he's 65? <laughs> Probably not, John. Uh, if you missed jo- uh, Fergus's comment, uh, Fergus thinks that anybody uh, over the age of 65 uh, isn't fit to drive and <laughs> they should 
be put off the road. And the reason I'm laughing is because of the language used in a, a comment that has come to us. Uh, somebody obviously took great offence at what Fergus had to say. I won't read the comment as it's written, but he, uh, this caller says, would that so-and-so like to be put off the road if he was living in the country? He would not, says our caller. Thank you indeed, as I say. Uh, the language uh, was choice uh, and I've chosen not to use it. Uh, somebody else says, uh, will funny Fergus hand up his driving licence at 65? Young people are the problem. That's Declan WhatsApping us, uh, who doesn't agree at all uh, with uh, Fergus. Another text just coming in about this from somebody who says, what planet is that gob Gombean, I'll change it to Gombean. What planet is that Gombean on? Uh, that's Fergus. Uh, of course, almost all drivers now would have done a test. It's the 20s and the 30s. Uh, uh, age group that are the danger uh, on the road. Most single car accidents involve young people. That comes to us from PJ. Some strong thoughts there. Uh, we'll be talking about the roads and uh, our habits and our bad habits in just a moment if you stay with us. Michael Reed on LMFM. Another comment uh, from Tom. Uh, I'm not sure what inspired Tom to text us. He's asking us a question about uh, the chief executive of Louth County Council. Tom says, Michael, would you put your money on Joan Martin jumping ship and taking early retirement? Maybe producing a, a sick note, not having to answer questions like D Forbes did. Uh, that's uh, one of uh, the RTE executives, director general, wasn't it? Uh, D Forbes, uh, who uh, became unwell and couldn't appear before Rochester's committees. Uh, I don't think so, Tom. Um, I, I, I know that um, John Martin is to retire at the end of May, so there's uh, only a few months left in it. I, I doubt that that's the case. Uh, of course, there's been a lot of questions uh, that have been posed on this qu- uh, programme about Loud County Council's handling of a particular motion and how it appears uh, that two pieces of legislation were broken, the Local Government Act and the Freedom of Information Act. And we've been asking a lot of very, very serious questions about that. Uh, You might be interested, uh, Tom, to know, I got a a call yesterday from a civil servant in uh, the Department of Local Government, a spokesperson for the minister, Uh, who told me that the department is now actively looking into what has been reported on LMFM uh, and that we can expect to hear from uh, the department in relation to this over the coming days or weeks, as the case may be. Uh, The official said uh, there won't uh, be a response uh, immediately because it'll take some time to investigate uh, but, as I say, a spokesperson for the minister tells me that uh, the Department of Local Government is now actively looking into what has been reported about Louth County Council on LMFM. Now, uh, it has just been uh, an appalling year on Irish roads. Uh, last year, the worst year Uh, In a decade, an increase of 20% of fatalities this year is proving no better. Uh, Yesterday was such, such a tragic day with three young lives lost. Sympathies with the the families of the three people who were killed in in Carlow overnight. Um, Published in December 2021, the government's road safety strategy has the target of reducing road deaths and serious injuries by 50% 
uh, this de decade, and it's underpinned by the Vision Zero policy. Vision Zero has been adopted across the EU and aims to eliminate deaths and serious injuries on our roads. The second annual review of the road safety strategy took place on the 18th of January, where a wide range of road safety stakeholders considered progress to date and what we can prioritise to have an impact in 2024. Specific priorities for the coming months include the development of a national strategy for camera-based enforcement, addressing the, the multi-learner permit issue, um, and improving uh, many of the road safety education initiatives. Work has commenced on implementing the recommendations of the speed limit review published last September. Updated guidelines for local authorities are expected to be concluded this quarter, and the safer default speed limits called for by the review will be legis legislated for by the Road Traffic Bill 2024, which will be uh, coming forward the doll in the next couple of weeks. That's the Minister with Responsibility for Road Safety, Jack Chambers, speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Let's speak now to Tony Toner. Uh, Tony is a former Garda driving instructor and on-road driving consultant. Good morning to you, Tony, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme uh, this Good morning. Good morning, Michael. We heard there a long list of things that are, are being done to improve road safety from uh, the Minister, but obviously there continues to be problems. Have you any sense as to why we've gone backwards? There's a, there's about 2.3 million vehicles on the national roads, on our, on our international car park. We registered this year, uh, is looking to be um, probably about 120,000 new vehicles will be registered this year. Now, our neighbours over the water will register 2.5 million just to give an idea of the difference in, in, in scale. Um, the issue arises with marrying the human element and the vehicle. And 92% plus of all collisions are caused by the human element. They're caused by us. Uh, either a moment of uh, distraction, a moment of uh, concentration loss uh, or aggression but primarily um, it's it's a mistake somebody makes and they collect somebody else in that mistake um, and um, I call it a driver fitness issue mm. Michael uh, we looked at the game say last night and all of that stuff and we we give it give out about the ref and he didn't blow for this and he blew for that and the bar is this and mm -hmm. all of that. We'll do the same for the rugby tonight. Uh, all of that. But if you reflect that onto our behaviour on the roads, do we know the rules of the game when we're going out on the road? Not that driving is a game. Um, are we aware of our obligations? When was the last time you did the theory test online? Just mm. to see, are you up to date with current legislation? Ah, yeah, Would but, you pass? But, yeah, I know. I, 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 I'm going to stop you there, Tony, because everybody, I'm sure, I'm not sure about it if you'd pass the theory test, but everybody knows you shouldn't be speeding. Everybody knows you should be wearing a seatbelt. Everybody knows you shouldn't drink and drive. Everybody knows you shouldn't take drugs and drive. Uh, everybody knows the rules of the road and the things that are particularly dangerous. Uh, but for some reason, we get into a car and act otherwise. Well, look, we need referees on the pitch, and there is 
uh, a lack of Garda presence out there, particularly on our main roads, our national road, our motorway network. Uh, I drove down from Dublin to Cork yesterday, and I didn't see one. I was in Donegal last week. I didn't see any. Um, and it's all right having roads police and stamped on Garda vehicles. Um, that's more of, uh, to me, um, uh, a wish clause than it is something in actuality. Mm. Um, yeah, the old style traffic core. When there was a traffic core in Drogheda, you knew if you were on that M1 or whatever, the traffic core were there. They had an unmarked vehicle. They had a high visibility jeep. They had um, a presence. Mm. And if you were pulled in by uh, the ubiquitous traffic cop, um, there was no point spinning the yarn because they had the answers before they asked mm. the question. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. We need to go back to that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people don't really know the rules of the road. We had a, a text from Fergus. I thought it was a little bit over the top. He was saying, I thought it was a lot over the top, actually. He was saying he should ban anybody over 65 from driving. Uh, but the point he was making was that uh, there's a lot of people who don't know how to use motorways, who don't know how to uh, use roundabouts, uh, who don't indicate, who don't do some of uh, the fundamental things uh, that uh, any decent half-licensed driver should know how to do? Well, I think, I, yeah, I'm still involved, Michael, in, in giving out driving advice uh, and all that stuff. And uh, that previous corner, uh, sorry to disappoint him, I'm over 65. And I'm, uh, uh, what do you call it, renewed all my licenses last year mm-hmm. uh, and passed any test they asked me to do. Um, uh it is a responsibility to take a vehicle out on the road and share it with so many varying uh, vehicles, so many different drivers. Some have passed their test mm. the previous day. Some are professional drivers in that they are driving uh, company vehicles. They're driving large buses, large HGVs. Um, it is important that we know what we have to do. Mm. We have to give a little bit of consideration to them in what they're doing. Yep. Uh, you know, there has to be a courtesy there, mm. and it's something that is somewhat lacking on our roads. Um, you know, we're coming up to a weekend now when there will be a movement of people mm. uh, to visit family down the country and yeah. all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and we wish everybody safe travels and, uh, you know, Mm. joyous reunions all that goes with it yeah actually do do you know what Tony I I wonder if it's a a case that we blame everybody else but ourselves uh, or we look at everybody else's bad habits or bad behaviour but our own uh, because uh, following on from Fergus's message a lot of people have been in touch with us blaming younger drivers and they say that they're all bad drivers Uh, but it's it's not true of any age cohort is it? I mean, you'll get good and bad drivers regardless of your age. It's people who are driving badly who aren't doing all those things, who are on their phone at the moment while they're driving, uh, holding a handset and uh, distracted undoubtedly, despite how great and wonderful they think they are, uh, have been able to multitask when they're in charge of a motorised vehicle. Yes, there is a distraction in the car. Um, the phone is pinpointed as a major source of it. But if you have a modern car, 
and you plug your, your phone into the charger, uh, your Android or your Apple comes up on the centre screen. That too can be a distraction. Uh, five times more distracting in a car than a phone is a young child, a, a baby. They're not going to ban babies from the backs of cars, Michael. It is up to the driver to know they're being distracted and do something about it. Not to continue, you know, reaching back if you have two Comanches in the back of the car and they're they're having a go at each other, the niggles that go on between mm. kids. Uh, that's taking you your mind off what you, you should be doing ahead. Um, you know, you have to pull in and ask for a bit of cooperation there. People, um, you know, we're going yeah. to see this and whatever ransom uh, you can put on uh, their good behaviour, you have to do it. Mm. Um, but we're all well aware of how distracting the phone is. And it's it's physically distracting, but it is mentally distracting as well. And that's where the drop in concentration from the real demanding role of a driver uh, occurs. Mm. And that's when reaction time is reduced from the normal 0.7 of a second down to or up to maybe a couple of seconds. Okay. And that's where you have bumps on the M50. It shuts down every day because somebody bumps somebody up mm. the tail. Ad- atti- uh, attitude must be the uh, most dangerous attitude thing. Attitude is, yes. The, the most dangerous thing. Yeah, the, you know, if you, if, you, if you think you're Sterling Moss or something uh, and nothing's ever going to uh, affect you when you're driving a, a car because you're such a brilliant driver uh, and you continue to drive at 140 on the motorway or through red we're lights. all human, Michael, and we, we're, yep. we're subject to human yep. error. But, you know, if uh, I was going out tomorrow night and uh, I'm at the, the the mirror scraping my face, as mm. I've done since I was a young man, uh, you can be sure, because I have a crisp white shirt waiting on me, I, the, the bathroom's going to look like Zulu Dawn. Uh, I'm going to nick myself. There'll be blood everywhere. And why did that happen? mistimed, call it what you want, but I nick myself shaven. Mm. We can all do that in a metaphorical sense on the road. Yeah. But it shouldn't manifest itself yeah. into the tragedies which we're all listening to through networks like yeah. yourself. Mm. But um, after attitude, Tony, I think fatigue must be the second most dangerous thing, whether you're sober or not. If, if you're falling asleep at the wheel, and there's a lot of people who've... Um, not taking a drink and get into a car when they're just knackered. Well, you get into the car and in this weather, you're coming out of a cold environment into a snug environment of your car, your radio station, your seat, your air freshener, where you feel safe. And after five minutes when the heat gets up in the car, you know, fatigue can hit you like a runaway train. And as we say, it's the killer that doesn't sleep until you do. Um, it can happen any hour of the day. Any hour of the day. And in those nano sleeps, those nods you get when fatigue hits in, you've travelled the length of Crow Park with your eyes shut. So, mm. you know, when you get sleep uh, demand uh, through fatigue, mm. it's your body telling you mentally and physically, I need to shut down. I need to sleep. And you have to listen. And you know, you go somewhere that is safe and secure, go to a forecourt that's well lit, mm. under a light, not down the bottom of the car park, mm. and uh, put the seat back and get a little bit of shut eye if you have a journey to do. Yeah. Uh, if it's urgent, urgent, and you have to continue with it, 
um, you can get that cup of coffee, the yeah. cup of strong tea and a bit of sugar, and it'll give you a boost. But mm. it is no substitute for what you really need, and what you really need is your bed. OK, Tony, we won't preach at anybody, but we will ask them to do all of the things that they know yeah. they should be doing when they're driving a car for their own safety, but not just for that reason, for the safety of everybody else on the roads. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely, and don't be there until you get there. Thank you indeed. Tony Toner is a former guarded driving instructor and on-road driving consultant. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, uh, talk about uh, bad drivers, uh, bad older drivers, or, or is it the younger drivers? Jerry Endendock uh, tells the story about both. He says, I agree with the earlier texture about young drivers and boy racing tactics, thinking that they can drive. But he tells us yesterday he was out for a cycle and an elderly woman waved him on to cross the road as he was crossing the lady decided to drive as he was halfway across the road holy god Jerry <laughs> remarkable stuff uh, thanks indeed uh, for your message now uh, to uh, some coverage I think you're going to find impossible to believe just try that again uh, no um, seem to be having a crisp I'm sorry I want to play this now Chris could you come here please because um, I want to play uh, yeah there's definitely something wrong with this file I don't think it's the one that we had uh, oh no I have it now actually could you just sit down there for a second uh, maybe you put those headphones on you there um, well, you're on the blue microphone uh, so maybe uh, we can take a listen to this I think I've got it ready to play now are you ready okay hello and thanks for joining us I'm Kevin Nealon Our top story tonight. It appears that happy birthday wishes are in order. We are monitoring things closely as details continue to come in, but it seems... Yes, I have confirmation. We're talking about you, Chris. Happy birthday. I'm not sure why you get the credit. Seems to me like your mom did the heavy lifting that day. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, folks. Brilliant. I always wanted to be on the Michael Reed show. <laughs> A happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Thanks, Michael. I didn't realise you hadn't got a last you. item. Um, no, we were talking about older drivers. Oh, yeah. 50. I'm 50 now, yes. <laughs> I might have to reapply for my licence, yes. <laughs> Have you got the bus pass yet? No, not yet. That's 65. That's 15 years old. Ah, uh, yeah. I think maybe you're close to Although the bus pass. Although the bus does want to talk to me at half 11. <laughs> <laughs> the whole crew have to come in to say happy birthday. Happy 50th birthday. Thank you, Michael. To Chris Murray. Brilliant. brilliant. Uh, by the way, um, like the little wig. Oh, yeah, do you like it? I yeah. put a bit of back to black in the hair last night. Yeah, the toupee. <laughs> <laughs> and you're off on your holidays. I'm off to Prague on Tuesday. Yeah, love yeah. Prague. Oh, I'm right. off there for a few days. Very I was checking good. the temperature. It's minus four over there. Oh, lovely. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah, it. That'll be crisp and fresh. Crisp and fresh, yeah. yes. Not a cloud in the sky. Yeah, okay. Well, 
I'm sure you'll be celebrating. Good. Do I have to stay in the studio for much longer? No, you, over? no you can go now. You can go now. There's a lot of cake there to eat. Sure is. Uh, put, the, put those candles down. They look like... We, 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 we had to call the fire brigade in advance of lighting the candles. Do you know what, Michael? I've been dying to go to the loo since half ten yeah. and Maggie wouldn't let me leave the studio. Oh, you can't go, Chris. You can't go, Chris. <laughs> now I know why. Yeah, well, good luck Thanks, to you. Folks. Good luck to you. <laughs> that is uh, an old man that works with us here uh, and uh, is quite popular amongst the staff, as you can imagine. Uh, and a happy birthday to Chris Murray. Uh, before we go, uh, we better take off uh, that music uh, and bring you some more of the comments because a lot of people got in touch with us uh, this morning. A text from somebody who says there's good drivers uh, in young people and old people. There's always a few that think they don't have to obey the rules of the road, speeding, drink, drug driving, on their phones, etc. Bullies like Fergus, who texted earlier with road rage, who think they know best. You can't tar everyone with the same brush. More policing and reducing speed, better lighting signage and fix the potholes would go a long way, says our caller. Another text from Tracy, who says, Michael, I see on a daily basis men shaving, women doing their makeup on their phones, the M3 even doing the speed limit. You're not going fast enough. People overtake you like rockets. Years using the M3 and very seldom ever see the guards roundabouts. Oh my God, don't even go there. I don't know how there aren't more accidents. People really don't know how to use them and they're causing havoc to other drivers. Rant over, says Tracy. Thanks for ranting, Tracy. Joe says, Michael, why delay changing the speed limits? It's simple to get signs and cover the existing ones, so no need to spend millions for that matter either. Somebody else says, over the past 10 years, five of my children have passed their driving test after doing the relevant lessons. Both myself and my husband have pulled them up for driving too fast, but under the speed limit on some country roads. Their response to this is, we've done the lessons and we're told by the instructor to keep up to the speed limit. Another text from somebody who says speed is a massive factor, but a lot of national and secondary roads are in a very bad condition. Light up the roads, better improved signage, road markings, etc. Also, new vehicles with automatic LED lights can be blinding to oncoming traffic. One more before we go from John, who says, I've just been on the M50. A company van was driving in the left lane at 45 kilometres. I drove alongside to see with the driver. Uh, He was holding a, a phone. I drove uh, beside this van for two kilometres. The speed varied between 45 and 52. During that time, the van changed lanes four times. This guy had no idea what was going on around him. Thanks, John. That's the final word. Hope you have a, a lovely long weekend and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Tuesday morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.